Good to see you this morning. Isn't it great to be able to worship together? Be in God's house together? I hate, hate to do this to you, but I'm going to have you stand back up. And I want you to find three people and shake their hand, welcome them. Just say, welcome to Rocky Mountain Calvary. Get to know them. All right, you can have a seat. We had an awesome father-daughter dance uh, Friday night, and I want to say thank you to everybody who helped to put that on. Thanks so much for serving us. We were really blessed, so thank you so much. It was an awesome celebration. There were 600 uh, dads and daughters out total, uh, so it was just an amazing uh, celebration. Uh, we did run out of uh, gift bags for the daughters, and uh, so if you have hate mail, please send it to uh, <laughs> Pastor Mike, but he, he does feel really bad about it. We had more walk-ins. Mike's right here, so you can just talk to him right here, so... But Mike wants to make it right, uh, and so if you've got a daughter that didn't get a gift bag, if you could contact him at the church office, and we'll try to try to get one uh, to you uh, for that. So a few announcements. Uh, we are in an election year for a sheriff, and we've seen more the last two years how important it is uh, for the body of Christ to get involved in the political process. We have a sheriff election forum Tonight at 4.30 to 6, uh, Greg Maxwell is one of the candidates and he's going to come and share his vision as also to inform us about the voting process. So if you'd like to come out uh, for that, that'll be in the sanctuary at uh, 4.30. This Wednesday night is the night of prayer and worship. I'd like to invite you out uh, to that at 6.30. And then SALT Interest Meeting. This is Serving and Loving uh, teachers. Saban Middle School has opened up a door for us uh, to be able to come and serve uh, at the school. And if you're interested in getting involved in serving the teachers, at serving at uh, the school as a volunteer, come this Thursday night from 7 to 8 uh, in the upper room and we've got a, a meeting for you. Uh, baptisms, February 26th and 27th, one week away. If you know Christ as your Savior and you've never made that public declaration uh, of faith, Please sign up to be baptized. We do baptisms uh, during uh, the weekend uh, services. E4 Life is a gap year program that we're starting for kids 18 to 25. We have an open house March 6th to learn more uh, about that. And then hopefully last Sunday you really enjoyed Pastor Dominic's uh, teaching. As a friend of mine, we both spent time at Applegate Christian Fellowship in uh, Southern Oregon, went to the same uh, school ministry. He pastored in Portland and now lives here in Colorado Springs. And he's going to be teaching a class called Flourish from March 24th to April 21st on Thursday evenings. And so if you'd like to be part of that class, uh, please sign up. And I know that you're going to be really blessed. Uh, We had the opportunity to get away uh, for a week as a family, which was a real blessing. We went out uh, to Florida, really looking forward to warm weather, and it was cold. Uh, So I know you're like, oh, you poor persecuted soul. Uh, uh, But it made me realize how thankful I am for uh, Colorado. Don't you guys love living in Colorado Springs? So it means fun to visit Florida, but 
wouldn't want to live there. So it's great to, great to be back. Excited to be in Romans chapter 1. If you would turn with me to Romans chapter 1, verse 8. We're going to be looking at verses 8 through uh, 17. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you for the gospel, the good news, that you loved us enough to send your son to die for our sins. And Holy Spirit, we invite you into this time that you would remind us of your love, that you give us a heart for those that don't know Jesus. And it's overwhelming times. It's, it's overwhelming times in our city and our, our country and throughout the world. And we know the hope is the gospel. So we pray for that, that gospel movement. We pray for more and more people to know you, Jesus. So we welcome you into this time. In Jesus' name, amen. The gospel's not something that doesn't have relevance in our daily life. It's not a decision that we made to receive Christ as our Savior that then stops having impact in our lives. To think that way would be kind of like to... Uh, decide to get married and think that marriage is not going to impact your daily life. That you're just going to go through the ceremony, you're going to stand at the altar, and that it wouldn't have any daily impact in your life. Of course marriage has this sweet daily enrichment in your life. And the gospel is something that we need this morning. We need the grace of God in our lives just as much as the day we receive Christ as our Savior. We're just as much sinners as we were when we trusted Christ for salvation. We never get to a place where we stop needing uh, the gospel. And what I love about these verses that we're going to study this morning is Paul really lays out what does it look like to live in the gospel? What is life in the gospel? How does the gospel impact my daily life and knowing that God loves me, but also in having purpose to be able to go and share uh, the gospel with others? Verse 8, first I thank God through Jesus Christ for you all, that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. This is quite the compliment that's given to the church of Rome. That their faith is spoken of throughout the world. That they have proclaimed their faith throughout the world. There's a few key points we're going to focus on this morning. And the first is proclamation. There was something about this church in the way that they were in awe of what God had done for them. That they were impacting the world. We know Rome is the center of the Roman Empire. There was an ancient saying that all roads led to Rome. So there would be a lot of people that would come to Rome and they were impacted with the gospel. These group of believers were infecting and affecting those around them with the love of Jesus Christ. And it's really against all odds. Because Rome was a very dark place. It was a dark city. It was a, a dark empire. We know historically there was a lot of sexual sin. It's one of the reasons that led to the demise of the Roman Empire. Gross idolatry, just worship of all kinds of uh, pagan gods. Slavery was huge. A mass amount of, of slaves. A commitment to materialism and trying to get as much stuff as you, you possibly could. But the gospel was greater than this darkness. And God birthed a church in Rome and now this church is being used throughout the world. And that's the encouragement of the gospel is when it's dark, the light shines all the brighter. There's a lot of things for us to get discouraged about in the darkness of our culture. 
in any city throughout the country, really any city throughout the world, it just seems that things are getting more and more dark and, and more and more hopeless. But as we think about life in the gospel, hopefully we're not discouraged, but we're encouraged because the world is waiting for Jesus, whether they realize it or not. And the world, I think, people that don't know Christ their Savior has to be looking for answers. Looking for answers culturally, looking for answers in their own life personally. And this is a wonderful time to be able to reach out with the gospel. We hear encouragements from places like Iran and Afghanistan, which it seems that there would be no possible advancement for the kingdom and the gospel. But the gospel and the church is actually exploding amidst this tremendous persecution and darkness. It's almost as if Satan and darkness, the harder Satan tries to just squash the gospel, the more that God shows his power in the power of the gospel to penetrate lives and change lives. And so that's the encouragement for us, is that we would look at the church of Rome and say, God, help me to know that you love me in such a way that I would share this good news with others, that I would proclaim this good news with others. In Isaiah 52, there's an awesome promise. It says, How beautiful are the mountains, are the feet of him who brings good news, who proclaims peace, who brings glad tidings of good things, who proclaims salvation. Literally, you're going to have happy feet as you bring good tidings. Have you ever had such good news that you couldn't wait to share it with the one that you love, someone that you care about, Oh, I just got a raise. I can't wait to call and, and tell you about it. And as we have the good news of the gospel, as we share it with others, it literally causes us to have happy feet. Sometimes uh, when there's something good that you enjoy in your life and you share it with others, you're reminded of the goodness. You may have a favorite restaurant that serves some amazing epic tacos. And you invite a friend to go with you, and you're like, oh, these are, these are so good. I'm going to lose some man cards here, but I've been drinking more tea, and I, and I said that out loud. Now, this little bit of advice is going to change your life, is celestial seasonings, and that's even less manly, but they are here in Colorado, in Boulder, they make all their tea. You can get it at any grocery store, but they have some tea called Bengal Spice, and if you let it brew for a good amount of time, it is delicious, right? And when I introduce a friend to Bengal Spice Tea, I'm reminded how good Bengal Spice Tea is, right? How much more so would Jesus? When we think about the gospel, we think of the good news, we think of what he's done for us, and we share that with others. We proclaim it, we declare it in our actions, our attitudes, in our words, then we're reminded, oh man, it's amazing that God loves me. It's amazing that Jesus came uh, for sinners. Now I want to pause here for just a moment and, and share my heart and, and bear with me in this. Because I've been thinking about this and, and praying through this. Is One thing I'm observing in the church right now is there's, there's this tension where I think is good and it's healthy if we can navigate it through the help of the Holy Spirit is there is a need, I think, for the body of Christ as a whole to get involved politically. 
I mean, we're seeing some things happen politically and some laws that are being passed that are really against God's word, especially when it comes to sexuality, when it comes to abortion. And, and there is a, a part of a believer inside of the gospel that we're to be salt and light, and God would want to wake up the church to be involved politically. I'm thankful for many in our church that have a role in some important political forums inside of our community. I'm thankful for Christians that are, that are serving in these offices, in, the, in politics, in the military, in, in police. It's really important for us as believers to, to do that. Now, having said that, my concern is, as we get involved politically, is that we lose sight of our greatest message, and that's the gospel. So how do we get involved politically with not losing sight of the fact that people need to be born again? That people need to to know Jesus. It's Jesus and him crucified that's the hope for, for the world. So the balance, I think the balance point of this tension is to say, yeah, I'm gonna get involved politically. But also, I am going to try to do it in such a way where I'm reflecting Jesus. And the tone sometimes in which believers are involved in politics, is it can not reflect the gospel. So here I am, I'm involved in politics, I'm involved in truth, I'm standing for righteousness, but I want to do it in such a way where I'm pointing people to Jesus Christ and him crucified. Because it's really gospel first and politics second. It's, it's gospel first and politics second. Did you know that conservatives can go to hell? Did you guys realize that? I mean, when you go to heaven, it's not that that Jesus is going to come to the great white throne judgment and say, let me see your political affiliation. Well, I'm a registered Republican voter. Oh, you're in. You're in, right? We know, we know it's not our political affiliation that saves us. It's Jesus Christ and and him crucified. So we always want to keep the message of the gospel, but also not neglect our responsibility to get involved. And, And as we get involved, to see God begin to do a work that penetrates our whole society. So this is what I'm really praying for, is the proclamation of the gospel, is, is a movement of the gospel that impacts all areas of life. Verse 9, for God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son. Service. So there's there's proclamation, but there's service. Life in the gospel involves service. Paul says, in my spirit, which is his inner man, his mind, his emotion, his will, in the gospel, he's serving. How this looks in Paul's life is, as he looked at the priorities of his day, it was gospel first. How can I display in my actions, in my attitudes, in in my words, that Jesus loves you? Paul had this burden for souls. As you go to work and live out our work life to say, I'm not just here to earn a paycheck. I'm not just here to survive. I'm not just here to have my own tank filled. But how can I be a witness of the gospel in the midst of my workplace. Okay, God, you, you've put me on this street. You've put me in this uh, apartment complex. I live here for, for a reason, so I want to serve you in the gospel. My kid is on this soccer team, and it's not just about winning the Pee Wee Championship. 
It's not just about our third graders being the best soccer team. But as a parent, how can I serve in the gospel amongst this, this soccer team? That, that's what Paul's saying. That's life in the gospel. That's where, where the gospel has impacted us in such a way where it says, I want to serve. How can I serve my family in a way that reflects the gospel? How do I communicate to Amber and the kids that, that they're loved by God in my actions, in my, my attitudes? And so service, it's a heart of service that is touched by the gospel. This is one of the ways that Paul lives it out. That without ceasing, I make mention of you always in my prayers. Paul says, I'm continually praying for you. One of the things that we find in Paul's life was the priority of prayer. In all of his letters to the churches, he mentions that he's praying. He said one of his greatest burdens was the care for the churches. He, he felt this responsibility before the Lord. I think if we were sitting and talking to the Apostle Paul, he would say, one of the greatest things that I can do for the church is to pray for them. This is God working in their lives is through prayer. Prayer wasn't the last resort for Paul. It was the first priority. Jesus in his life was passionate about prayer. As you read the Gospels, he was ministering to people all day long. They were bringing every broken person in the community to Jesus. He's casting out demons. He's healing the sick. And he finds himself the next day not sleeping in, but getting up long before the sun is up to pray, to be with the Father. There are times where the disciples are like, where's Jesus? And they find him alone praying. To the point where the disciples ask Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray. They didn't say, teach us how to do miracles. The walking on the water thing was pretty cool. (laughs) I want to teach like you teach. The common people hear you gladly. No, I I need to learn how to pray. And for us to have that same desire before the Lord of God, would you teach me to pray? As we think of the darkness in the world, we think of people not knowing Jesus. As we think about teen suicide and our community, it humbles us to a point of saying, we need to be praying. We want to be a praying church. I want to invite you out on Wednesday night, especially if you've never been. The fourth Wednesday of every month is a night of uh, prayer and worship. For us to come together as a church family, Rocky Mountain Calvary, and humble ourselves before the Lord and say, let's pray together. Do we want to see people get saved in this city? Do we want to see Christ uh, glorified? These problems are greater than what humans can fix. We need God's intervention. Throughout church history, God has moved when God's people humble themselves and pray. Pray without ceasing. In verse 10, making request by some means, now at last I may find a way in the will of God to come to you. Paul had this desire to come to Rome, but up until this point, he'd been hindered. He hadn't been able to come to to Rome. So this is one of the things he's praying about. God, would you open the door if it's your will for me to be able to come to Rome? For I long to see you, that I may impart some spiritual gift, so that you may be established. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you by mutual faith, both of you and me. Third key point, it's mutual encouragement. Life in the gospel involves being in relationship with each other as believers. 
Part of life in the gospel is this proclamation to those that don't know Christ. But we need one another to be encouraged. God has uniquely gifted you to be able to encourage other believers. And that's a neat place to be in. When you see your gifts, your talents, your life experience be used to encourage another believer. The only way that that can happen is if you're in relationship with other believers. If you're not in relationship with other believers, how can you encourage them? It kind of simply becomes a, a nice concept. But as we spend time with believers, then you're able to impart that spiritual gift to them. But also, as we serve, Paul says, I'm going to be encouraged. Paul knows that the church of Rome is also going to encourage him. He wants to go to provide encouragement, but also to receive encouragement. The way that God has designed us and created us is for relationship. God in and of himself is a relationship. One God, three distinct persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and they have fellowship with each other. He created us to be in fellowship with God and also to be in relationship with one another. This is one of the ways I think Satan's working overtime on us right now as believers is to try to isolate us to where we're not in relationship with one another. It's worth having believers over to your home. It's worth taking time to to get up and and have a coffee with, with a believer. It's worth being part of a connect group. If you go to the church's website and pull up our connect group, there's still connect groups to to be able to get involved in. Whether it happens organically or it's through RMC, a men's study, a women's study. But if we aren't intentional about it, a week goes by and it's like, man, I haven't really spent any time with believers. Coming to in-person services, there's something about being here together, isn't there? Where you get to see one another. You may find as you look around, man, that person really seems discouraged. The Holy Spirit highlights that and you take a moment to stop and listen and to care and and to pray for them. There may be some times that that you're discouraged and while you're here at church, someone sees that and and reaches out with the the love of, of Jesus Christ. God designed us for human touch. There's something about a handshake. Why is everybody lying up at Donnie's door? Right? Because Donnie's going to greet you and give you some Jesus love, right? He's going to shake your hand. He's going to give you a hug. And that's mutual encouragement that comes and and takes place. And you might be saying, well, Eric, you don't know how believers have hurt me. Some of the people that have hurt me the most have been fellow believers, fellow Christians. And that is a reality. And that does take place. And I would encourage you this morning to ask the Lord to help you to be able to forgive. That hurt is real. And yes, we as the body of Christ are sinners. And I'm sorry that you've been been sinned against. It's an opportunity to say, Lord, I don't want that to rob me from being in relationship with believers. When I first started youth pastoring here at, at RMC... It was 2000, I was young, and I had gone through some, some hurt in the body of Christ. And looking back, some of it was my doing as well. 
But the way that I saw those things was it was other people's doing at that point of my, my maturity. And I'd made a decision subconsciously when I started working at, at RMC that I'm going to be a youth pastor. I'm going to do my job. I'll be faithful. I'll show up. But I'm not going to get close to people. I'm not going to love people. I'm not, I'm not going to do that the way that I once would. And thankfully, a brother in Christ here could spot it. And he could see that I was simply going through the motions. And he, he challenged me. It's like, if, if you left here six months from now, you wouldn't even miss anybody. Because you're not investing yourself. You're not, you're not loving. And God challenged me to, to move out of that place. And could I ask you the same question this morning? Six months from now, if you moved from Colorado Springs, is there any believers that you would miss? And if the answer is no, then allow the Holy Spirit to start to work on that area of your life and say, man, I need to be in relationship with believers. I need to start loving believers. And this hurt has been preventing me and choose to forgive and allow the Lord to bring new life in that area. Maybe it's busyness. I'm not bitter. I'm just, I'm just busy, right? Lord, help me realign my priorities because we really need more than ever this mutual uh, encouragement. I love this quote. It's by William Booth, and he started Salvation Army, and he was talking with Queen Victoria, and he said, Your Majesty, some people's passion's money, and some people's passion is fame, but my passion has been men. <laughs> Don't you love that? My passion's people. God loves people. So, so my passion is people. Now, I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I have often planned to come to you, but was hindered until now, that I might have some fruit among you also, just as, I, just as among the other Gentiles. In verse 14, I am a debtor both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to wise and to unwise. Barbarians were those that weren't influenced by the Greek culture, that didn't speak the Greek language. Anybody that wasn't under the Greek culture, they thought them to be barbarians. It was kind of the mindset of my big fat Greek wedding, if you've seen that movie, right? Fourth thing to meditate on this morning, and it's sweet obligation. Paul says, I'm a debtor. I'm a debtor to, to the Greeks and the barbarians to bring the gospel to them. The way that Paul saw his life is that God had saved him by grace and he had an obligation to then share the gospel with others, but it's a sweet obligation. Similar to marriage. In marriage, there is an obligation to be faithful to one another, but hopefully it's a sweet obligation Hopefully you've, you've found your spouse to, to be one that you want to be loyal to. Ultimately unto the Lord. Because of your love to the Lord, you're like, man, I, I'm going to be faithful to my spouse. And, and this obligation, it's not one that's this heavy burden that's placed upon us. But Lord, because you love me, then I have this, this debt unto you. Not to try to earn or deserve salvation, but to share Jesus with others. What if we actually considered it this way. Like, we know what debt is like financially. I, I owe this to the bank that has the mortgage on my house. I, I owe this to the, the credit card company. What if we saw 
our family, our friends, our coworkers, our neighbors, is I'm actually indebted to love you in Jesus' name. I have, a, I have a debt unto you. Ultimately, our debt is unto God, but the payment is to people. Does that make sense? God, God, you've saved me, and so by your grace now, I'm indebted unto you to love people in, in Jesus' name. God, you've called me to love my neighbors, love my family members, to, to share the gospel with them. Oftentimes, we think that God's calling somebody else to share the gospel. That this has got to be for somebody else. But no, God's called every believer with the Great Commission to, to go and share so to see the world around us in this way, this, this sweet obligation. In verse 15, so as much as in me, I'm ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. Paul had personally resolved to be ready to preach the gospel. Paul's saying, I'm ready to go to Rome and preach the gospel there too. To see God do an even greater work in Rome. Amazing. There's a preparedness where he, he's prepared to preach the gospel. With the armor of God, we're, we're told to put on the gospel of peace, to shod our feet with the gospel of peace. When you go out for the day, you put your shoes on. And for us, as we go out into this world, we remember the gospel of peace. Every step I take is in the gospel and looking for those opportunities to preach the gospel. So many opportunities I've missed in my life to share Jesus because I wasn't prepared. I'm in a conversation, in the conversation, go on with my day. Then it dawns on me, oh, that would have been a great opportunity to talk about Jesus. There was actually something happening in that conversation and I haven't realized it. So to have this mindset of I'm prepared, I'm, I'm ready. God, I want to live my life in this way where I'm prepared to, to share the gospel. Verse 16 and 17 are very powerful verses. Verse 17 gives us the theme for the book of Romans. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. Our last main point is unashamed. Life in the gospel is unashamed. There's a confidence in the gospel. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Sometimes in conversations, especially in our culture, we can feel intimidated to bring up Jesus Christ and him crucified and him being the only way for salvation. I think that pressure was there for Paul as well. Rome was a pagan culture. There's many that would laugh Paul out of town as he shared Christ and him crucified. But Paul says, I'm choosing this attitude where I don't have to be ashamed of the gospel of Christ because it's the power of God unto salvation. Jesus dying for our sins and rising again has the power to be able to save and Paul realizes this. He's experienced it in his own life. And so he says, I'm not going to be embarrassed to share it with you because I know it's the power of God. When we share the gospel, we're lining ourselves up with the testimony of God. And the testimony of God is powerful. And Paul wrote 
to the church of Corinth and he said, when I came to Corinth, I did not come to you in excellency of speech. I was afraid. I was timid. Corinth was a highly intellectual city. He didn't even try to meet them in all of their intellectual arguments. He said, I came declaring nothing among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified because this is the testimony of God. And in the testimony of God is the power of God. So here we are afraid, here we are timid, we're wondering about personal rejection, but when we open up and we declare the name of Jesus, that Jesus loves you, that he died for your sins and rose again, he wants to save you, that's the power of God. And we can rest in the Lord saying, Lord, the results are up to you. People are responsible for their choices unto you. But I've just shared with them the goodness of God. I've just shared with them the power of God that results in salvation. We can't do this apart from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit filling us and equipping us to have this attitude of being unashamed. Let me ask you this. You guys still with me? Is the world, unbelievers, ashamed about their message or their agenda? When you watch media, sporting events, is the world ashamed about its message on sexuality? Unashamed, unapologetic, we're going to declare this message. Why would we be ashamed of the goodness of God? Why would we be ashamed of of the power of God resulting unto salvation. The way that salvation results in our lives, we'll see this in verse 17, is through faith. Everyone who believes, the Jew first, and then the Greek, the non-Jewish person, results in salvation. We receive salvation through faith. And that's what verse 17 teaches us as well. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. This is the theme of the book of Romans, that the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. In the book of Romans and throughout scripture, we get this view of God's righteousness. We get this view of God's holiness. The first three chapters of Romans is going to show us that we can't attain God's righteousness on our own. There's no way through our works that we're able to attain to God's holiness, to his righteousness. Paul is going to lay out several arguments and then come to Romans 3.23 and say, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. If you're not convinced of that yet, if you read those three chapters and study them honestly, you go, wow, Lord, I've sinned and I've fallen short. We cannot earn our way uh, to heaven. The only way the righteousness of God can come into our lives is through faith. It's from faith to faith. The, The just shall live by faith. God's righteousness is given to us as we trust Christ for salvation. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For he who knew no sin became sin for us so that we could become the righteousness of God. So this righteousness of God is something that is given to us by faith, is imputed to us by faith. And that's where we get to this, this phrase, the just shall live 
by faith. The word just is used throughout the book of Romans in the Greek form. The, the Greek noun is used 28 times. The Greek verb is used 15 times. And the word just is a legal term. It literally means to forensically, legally be declared righteous. And this is the glory of the gospel. This is the amazing work of the gospel, is that we're legally condemned. God lays out the handwriting against us, and the conclusion's clear. You're a sinner, deserving to be separated from God for all of eternity. But then it's not the end of the story. God sends his son to die for us while we were yet sinners, that whoever believes through faith in what he has done for us, then we're justified. All of our sin is paid for. All of our sin is forgiven and we're declared righteous by God. Also in the word justify, it means to be freed, to be freed. Imagine being guilty of murder, getting ready for a life sentence And then somehow in the mystery of grace, someone being able to pay the legal consequences to take the punishment for your sin to where a judge would say, you're free to go. You're justified. You're declared righteous. Somehow we looked through all of these things, this handwriting against you, and it's it's no longer there. And how does that happen? For us as believers, it only happens by faith. I'd encourage you to to study this more because the just shall live by faith comes from Habakkuk 2.4. It's what God speaks to the prophet Habakkuk. It's also written in Galatians. It's written in, in Hebrews. It's the theme of the book of Romans. The just shall live by faith. Church, you come alive by faith. As you trust the gospel, you come alive and you're the child of God. You're you're out of darkness and you're into the light. That's the, the power of the gospel in our lives. What's the application for us this morning as we prepare our heart for communion? Kent Hughes in his commentary of Romans says it this way. We spend too much of our lives chasing sticks when we could be living for a far greater glory and priority. Uh, we have a Newfoundland. She's a large breed dog. She's, she's a big dog. She's not known for her brains. <laughs> but she does play fetch with, with the tennis ball. And she will chase that ball all day long, right? And sometimes we're, we're satisfied with sticks. We'll just chase the stick. We're like, oh, th- this is the best thing ever. Just trying to survive, trying to get through, trying to amass more stuff. We've got the completely wrong priority. There's, there's something far greater that we could be living for. And for us, it's life in the gospel. So I want to remind you first this morning that God loves you in a crazy, intense way. To the point where Jesus would give his body to be crucified on the cross for your sins and my sins. As we take communion this morning, that this isn't just a tradition that we do, but man, Jesus, you love me. We celebrate the gospel. Your body was broken so I could be made whole. 
Your blood was shed. This is the new covenant so that my sins could be forgiven. I am justified by faith, by trusting the gospel. I'm freed. Jesus, thank you so much. And then as we're in awe of the gospel, to be moved in such a way where we would do something about it. Moved in such a way that we would share. That we would share for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So instead of just trying to get through life or be as comfortable as we possibly can, to start to see our lives of, okay, Lord, you've put me here in this place. I want to be light. I want to be light in in the darkness. I want to share Jesus. If I have one conversation with an unbeliever, I want it to point back to Jesus. I want to share with them Jesus Christ and him crucified. If this unbeliever gets to know me, I want them to know the love of Jesus. I want them to know this crazy, intense love that God would give his only son to die for us so that we could be forgiven and we could be the child of God. God is using you. He wants to use you. But this is the priority of life. Jesus came with a mission, didn't he? He said, I came to seek and to save those that are lost. He gave the parable, three parables. You've got a a lost coin. You've got a lost son. And you've got a lost sheep. And in all three of those stories, it's the heart of God to go find the lost. This morning, God's heart breaks for those that don't know Jesus. If you don't know Jesus, he wants to introduce himself to you. We've talked this morning of the gospel, that Jesus died for our sins and rose again. But have you ever believed it? Have you ever seen your own need for Jesus to die for your sins? Someday you're going to stand before God. As we come and take communion, there's going to be a ministry team available here on the sides. And would you come and let us know, I'd like to receive Christ as my Savior. I'd like to trust him for forgiveness of sin. Repent of my sin. Invite him to be the Lord of my life. Receive that free gift. If you have questions, please, we'd love to talk with you. Online, there's an opportunity to respond as well. You can indicate in the chats and the comments, and a team is ready to rally around you and pray with you to receive Christ as your Savior. But today's the day of salvation. There's no work that you could do to receive grace and forgiveness of sin. There's no voting record that can save you from your sin. Only the blood of Jesus can save you from your sin. And then church, if you're feeling purposeless, you got a purpose. My goodness, you got a purpose. We live in a crazy time where people need to know about Jesus. Amen? And may God awaken us to say, I get to be part of God's mission. He's desiring to seek and save the lost. And may we believe that the death and the resurrection of Christ has the power to save sinners. It's happened in our lives, and we should never meet a sinner and think that God can't do it in their life. God, you can do it. You died for their sin. I mean, even Chiefs fans, Kansas City Chiefs, the, the gospel is that big for Chiefs fans. God has died and rose again, his son, to be able to save us for our sins. So let's stand together and let's celebrate the gospel.
Jesus, we thank you for your death for us. We thank you for your love for us. As we enter into communion, may this be a fresh time with you. May we be reminded of your great love for us, your sacrifice upon the cross. And God, would you, would you forgive me? I get so distracted in this life, get so selfish and consumed in my, my own interests. Help me to have a heart for the lost and help me to have faith to believe that you can save the lost. And we do pray for those this morning that don't know you, that you would open up their eyes and their heart to you. We, we pray for our city, for those that don't know the name of Jesus. Would you give us opportunities this, this week to love on the lost, to share Jesus? Would you fill us afresh with, with your spirit? In Jesus' name. Amen.